bread of life. There was no shortage of food provided to the people. They need never go short of spiritual food. Should they do so, then the lack would be due to their own indifference, not due to the insufficiency on the Lord's part. The Lord then sends out the disciples to collect up the leftovers. This emphasizes that there will be ample spiritual food for all who desire to be filled with the teachings of Christ, yet this food was not to be wasted. They collected up twelve baskets of fragments. Twelve represents the hope of Israel, and so the point is shown that the multitude of Israel had been fed sufficiently, yet there was still the hope of Israel left over, which in turn could be extended to the Gentiles. When the four thousand were fed, there were seven baskets left over, showing that the covenant would be extended to them and the Jew and Gentile would be one in the same hope. The Lord's concern that nothing should be lost is repeated later in John chapter 6, where he says, And this is the Father's will which he has sent me, that of that which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And then in 17 verse 12, when referring to the disciples, the Lord points out that the fragments are collected up, that his teaching might not go to waste, but might instead be used to bring in more that none may be lost. It is these fragments that the Syrophoenician woman asks from Christ in the following chapter in Mark, where she says, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs, in Mark chapter 7. The overabundance of leftovers also shows the lesson that while discipleship requires sacrifice, the benefits reaped at the end far outweigh the sacrifice required. The apostles would be sent out to distribute the bread of life to all who would respond. Their work would also be to gather up the fragments of that bread, working in ecclesias that none may be lost. For the Lord is not willing that any should perish. We continue this work in our Lord's service, labouring to distribute his teachings, that more may be able to partake of those fragments. The latter half of John 6 shows us that the people did not get the point. They were prepared to put in the effort to find the miracle worker, but not prepared to put in the effort to understand his words. All they cared about was their hunger, being satisfied with minimal effort. So, when they came searching for the Lord, he saw straight through them and told them that they needed to shift their focus. Stop focusing on meat which would perish and start labouring for the meat which endures forever. It is a matter of putting in the effort proportional to the result. It doesn't matter how much natural bread we have, eventually we will still die. But if we are labouring for the spiritual bread, then the sun will give us life. The people then asked what they needed to do to work the works of God. And Christ responds, but directs their attention to the faith from which those works spring. He told them that the work of God is to believe on the one whom God sent. The people then demanded a sign and drew a comparison between Moses and Christ. In effect, they said, Moses fed us for 40 years with bread from heaven in the wilderness. You fed us for a day with normal bread in a grassy place. However, Christ shows that the true analogy was between the manna, which was God-given, not Moses-given, and himself, the Son of God. He showed that he was the true bread, as opposed to the manna which was typical of himself. The manna was manufactured by the Spirit of God on the earth for the use of Israel. It was bread from heaven because it was supplied by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the true manna. He was bread from heaven because he was born 
by the same means. As the manna was representative of the word of God, so our Lord was the word of God made flesh. Again the multitude missed the point. They were just after free bread. They had come to him eagerly, but they had not truly come. They had eaten of the bread he gave, but would not eat of the true bread that he was. Their mindset betrayed their belief that man could indeed live by bread alone. As the discussion in John progresses, Christ begins to draw in the idea of sacrifice as well, which was particularly fitting at the time of Passover, which was at hand. But how does bread relate to sacrifice? In the law and in Ezekiel, the portion of the sacrifice which belonged to God was called the bread of God. Under the law, worshippers were forbidden to eat the bread of God, illustrating that the true fellowship with God was not possible through the law. However, in John chapter 6, verse 33, Christ called himself the bread of God, and tells us that by eating his flesh and drinking his blood, life is attained. Thus, Christ identified himself with the offerings, but showing his superiority in that fellowship with God could be possible, as they could share his bread. And so, it is here that the true meaning of the bread on the other side of Galilee and the connection with the Passover is shown. The bread is not only the bread of life from heaven that a man must eat to have everlasting life. It is also the living bread which the Son identifies as his flesh, which must be given for the life of the world. Our Lord goes on to say, As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. The Son derives life from God, and so those who eat his flesh share his life, and thus the life of God becomes the life of the eater. Under the law, the blood represented the life. In Christ it is a life outpoured in complete obedience, and it is through identification with that sacrifice that our sins can be forgiven. Paul shows us that we are dead to our former way of life, and now Christ is our life. The popularity of Christ had reached its peak. The people had been ready to make him king, but instead he had quietly revealed to them the greater importance of spiritual bread. He had called upon them to accept this and to eat of the bread that he was prepared to give them, but his words revolted them and they turned away from him in disgust. Over five thousand people had shrunk down to twelve men, and one of them, one should have left with the multitude. However, there is a sequel to this story. Two chapters later, in Mark chapter 8, the Lord feeds 4,000 Gentiles. But here they had gone for three days without food and without complaint. The disciples made no comment, and eventually it was the Lord who points out to the disciples that there was a problem. The disciples seemed unable to comprehend that Christ could or would make bread for the Gentiles, and so the Master teaches them to set aside prejudice. As apostles of Christ, they would not only be distributing the bread of life to the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And in many cases, the Gentiles would respond better than the Jews. Christ had come to his own and offered them bread, but they had refused, and so he had turned to the Gentiles and offered them the bread. They were the other sheep of which he spoke of in John chapter 10, verse 16, and those sheep responded. They fed on the spiritual food for three days without thought for the natural. Shortly after feeding the 4,000, our Lord is again in a ship with his disciples, and he warns them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The disciples' minds immediately went to the fact that they had forgotten to take bread. 
Seeing them talking among themselves, Christ rebukes them in fairly strong language. Right? Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your hearts yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not, and do ye not remember? His words echoed Mark's comment after the feeding of the five thousand, when he told us that their hearts were hardened, for they considered not the miracle. We can see the Lord's frustration as he questions them. When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? What was it that they initially did not understand? Matthew provided the answer when he said, Then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. He was speaking of teaching, not literal bread. There was no shortage of natural bread. The warning was to beware of the bread eaten spiritually. The leaven of the Pharisees was hypocrisy, and the leaven of the Sadducees was materialism. This leaven, which the Lord warned his disciples about, had not been destroyed. Neither hypocrisy nor materialism are extinct, and they unite in an even baser leaven, that of ungodliness, which can all too easily permeate our lives and draw us away from our Lord. So, we have sat in the Galilean hills and seen our Lord break bread and provide life-giving food to a multitude. We have watched as the five thousand heard his words and enjoyed the bread, but found the spiritual food unpalatable. We have seen the contrasting response of the Gentiles and been warned against the leaven of materialism and hypocrisy. As we have considered these things, what are some of the lessons that we have learned? We have seen a man who, even though he was under immense pressure, had compassion on the multitude of people, who were as a sheep with no shepherd. We've seen a king provide the bread of life to his people. We've seen a master teach his disciples a lesson in service. We've seen our Lord typically give himself that he might have life. And we have seen that our part is to go out and gather up the fragments, labouring in our Lord's service to distribute his teaching, that none may be lost. In the words of hymn 239, O God unseen, yet ever near, we come to seek thy face. Our hearts made wiser by their fear, and humbler by thy grace. Here may thy faithful people know the blessings of thy love, the streams that through the desert flow, the manna from above. We come responsive to thy word, to feast on heavenly food, and meet the body of the Lord, and drink his precious blood. So may we, as we meet with thee, be sealed more surely thine, and see beyond Gethsemane, thy kingdom's glory shine.